Father in heaven, as we enter into a time of study, um, as we open up this word that, you know, just over 500 years ago, it really wasn't accessible to, to the common person. Lord, as we take this privilege, not for granted, but as we receive your word today, we're asking that you would send us not just information, but transformation by the power of your Holy Spirit. We're asking, God, that you would fulfill the promise that the spirit of truth would guide us into all truth. We're asking, God, that these words that we've heard before wouldn't just be nice things that roll around in our hearts and minds, but that they would be the living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to the soul and spirit the thoughts and motives of our hearts. God, we're asking for the living word today, more than just a routine, more than just hearing and seeing ink on paper. God, we want to hear from you. This is our heart's desire. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Ah, happy almost Reformation Day, guys. It's close. It is close. Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot to be excited about. And for those of you who've been coming to Pale Horse Rides, maybe you're hearing history stories from the past that, that are just now clicking. I mean, for me, who has kind of I'm a fan of the book of Revelation. I'm a fan of the book of Daniel and how those prophecies relate to history. But there are certain stories that I'm hearing over these last few nights that um, I hadn't really considered in the context of Revelation 12, in the context of Daniel 7 and things like that. So if you haven't come, please join us. Um, Actually, if you want to, so it's it's a three-episode documentary kind of thing. We're actually doing an early viewing at 5.30 for anybody that has missed any of the past episodes. So if you want to come at 5.30, come hang out, and then supper at 6.30, it'll be a blessing. It'll be a blessing. All right. So yeah, like, like it has been mentioned, this is actually the 500th anniversary of those 95 theses that Martin Luther posted on the castle church's door in Wittenberg, Germany, or maybe more properly, Wittenberg, Germany, right? And um, it's, it's high time to reflect on the roots of the Reformation. I'm kind of sad that this is the last installment of our, of our series, The Roots of the Reformation. I'm telling you, Luther started something, and like Clint, you mentioned, he didn't necessarily know the trajectory that it was going to take. Um, he was faithful to you know, the established church at the time. He, he just wanted it to see revived. He wanted, it, he wanted to see it revived. He wanted to see that church um, more biblically grounded, more biblically faithful. Luther started something, but his message was unheeded by many. His message was uh, not responded to in the way that he hoped. He wasn't sure, actually, if what he started would ever be completed. Have you ever been in that kind of a boat? You know, you're starting something and you're not quite sure if it's really ever going to find its, its completion. And so Martin Luther actually wrote a letter um, in a time when he was really uncertain. It was, it was called an open letter to the Christian nobility of the German nation. All right? I don't know how many of you Christian history buffs are familiar with this, but this is something that I just discovered. It was written in 1520. 1521 was when the Diet of Worms... or I know that that always kind of throws me off. It's the assembly that met in the city called Worms or Worms, okay, in 1521. But a year before that, Martin Luther was sensing, man, the things that that we're trying to do in the church, they're not really gaining traction amongst, at least amongst the people that it ought to be gaining traction with, okay? 
And so the mindset at the time was very interesting. There was a dichotomy that the people and um, those in church leadership kind of perpetuated. And this dichotomy was, you know, it's, it's the sacred versus the secular. It's those who are in spiritual capacity, those who serve God in a spiritual sense, and those who carry temporal or everyday sort of roles. Okay, this is a dichotomy that maybe we're kind of familiar with, like, okay, so spiritual things, they're spiritually discerned, so only the spiritual people really deal with that. Whereas those who are in everyday, routine, temporal, secular capacities in society, we just kind of listen to what the spiritual people say, and we take it as, as gospel, so to speak. That was the dichotomy. That was the, the mindset of the time. And it was kind of an unhealthy thing, because those who are in spiritual roles, you know, full-time clergy, etc., priests, bishops, etc., they were considered higher and above those in more uh, common uh, material, temporal roles. Um, and as Martin Luther was preaching his, his, you know, basically message of reform, getting back to the Bible, he was realizing that those who were in the spiritual roles those who had the spiritual titles, they were not responding. And so if this thing of reform was ever going to gain traction, he needed to address those in the quote-unquote temporal capacities. Are you following me? Yeah? So, so here's, he's writing this letter, and he writes an open letter. Did you hear it? To the Christian nobility of the German nation. In other words, people who are in political positions, not the spiritual positions of leadership. He needed to say, okay... If we're going to get this thing going, people need to know that even if they're not in the spiritual roles, they have power to move the movement of reformation. So he's writing this letter, and it became increasingly apparent to Martin Luther that he had to urge those who weren't quote-unquote spiritual to rise up. So how did he address this? Are, are you excited? I don't know. When I, when I first heard about this letter, I was like, whoa, what's in the letter? Anyway, so... Here, I just want to read just a, a little bit here. This is from that open letter to the Christian ability. It's written in 1520, one year before, uh, maybe a little bit less than a year before he ends up at the Diet of Worms. Okay? And uh, this is how he, ad- he addresses the issue. The first thing he needed to do was he needed to kind of level the playing field and get rid of this perception. Spiritual over there, they have influence over spiritual things. We don't. And so here he goes. And this is obviously Martin Luther wrote in German. So this is a translation of his German. It says this, It is pure invention that Pope, bishops, priests, and monks are to be called the spiritual estate. Princes, lords, artisans, and the farmers are the temporal estate. So he says that's pure invention. That is indeed a fine bit of lying and hypocrisy. All right? This is an open letter. So just imagine this like all over Facebook. Okay, This is how he's, do- he's doing All Christians are truly of the spiritual estate, and there is among them no difference at all but that of office, in other words, title. You know, no one's better, no one's lower. It's just a title. Why? For baptism, gospel, and faith alone make us spiritual and a Christian people. Did you hear that? The rationale? Why? Because baptism, gospel, and faith alone make us spiritual and a Christian people. Through baptism, all of us are consecrated to what? The priesthood. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Now, for us, this is like, aha, like empowering, right? But for those who are of the old school, the old guard, as they're hearing this, this is like 
revolutionary. This is rebellious. This is like grassroots are trying to take it. This is mutiny, so to speak, right? But this is, this is essentially what Martin Luther realized. Hey, look, those who are in influence, those positions of spiritual estate, so to speak, they're not responding to the biblical message. And so if this is ever going to change, it needs to come from somewhere else. And it needs to come from people who are consecrated to the priesthood, not by um, preference or not by human ambition or not just because uh, it has been declared so, but because of baptism. Because we as Christians are consecrated to what? The priesthood. The priesthood. What Martin Luther was starting to articulate was a belief that we know as the priesthood of how many? All believers. The priesthood of all believers. Just by a showing of hands, how many of you have ever heard this phrase before? Yeah? Okay, okay. So the priesthood of all believers. This is kind of a a theological phrase that we use for this doctrine that, that Martin Luther is really trying to articulate. I don't know if you ever used that phrase specifically, priesthood of all believers, but that's essentially what he's trying to communicate. That by faith, by baptism, by the gospel alone, because we're Christians, we are priests. Priests. What do we mean by priests? Do you guys know what a priest was in the Old Testament? A priest uh, was one who ministered on behalf of God to um, almost like a mediator, a go-between. Okay? So it was, the way I like to articulate it is a priest was a bridge builder. A priest was a bridge builder, someone who bridged God to humanity. And um, in the temple services, you know, uh, each and every one of us, if we were there in that time, we would bring our sin offerings to the temple and a priest would help us, right? A priest would facilitate that opportunity for us to build the bridge back to God. Not that the priest would uh, take our place, but the priest was making that possible. And so when Jesus, you know, he's represented by the lamb itself, right? It's the blood of the lamb that actually consecrates us and, and saves us. But it's also the priest's ministry. That's why Jesus takes on the role of both lamb of God and the high priest, right? And so here's what, what Martin Luther is doing. He's saying, hey, look, when, when we're Christians, we too get to join ranks with Jesus in bridging a fallen world with the God that we so desperately need. And so, as uh, Martin Luther is writing this open letter, he's tearing down this wall that has been built up. And in fact, in the letter, he calls it a paper wall. A paper wall that just needs to be torn down or burned down. Um, you, you heard it in the quote. It's a fine bit of lying and hypocrisy. <laughs> lying and hypocrisy. It would have been fun to meet Martin Luther, just the kind of wit... The kind of, yeah, anyways. So how, how did Martin Luther, in this letter, how did he actually go about building a biblical basis? And for, so for the rest of the time that I want to share, let's go through some of the verses that in that letter he quotes from directly, okay? So one of the first ones he goes to is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Go ahead and grab your Bible, a Bible app, whatever it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the New Testament. After the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you've got the Acts, Romans, and then the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. When you're there, go ahead and say, Amen. All right, all right. 1 Corinthians, it's written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a group that is very diverse in the city of Corinth. And he says in verse 12, For as the body is one... And has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is who? 
so also is Christ. Okay, so he's using this metaphor of a physical human body. As a body is one, you've got your singular body, you've got many parts to that body, so also is the body of Christ. There are many members. Okay, so in verse 13 it says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So Martin Luther, he's quoting from 1 Corinthians 12 saying, look, the reason why we're all consecrated to the priesthood is because we are all on the same team. We are all members of the same body. Even if, uh, you know, physically speaking, we might have more prominent roles, the fact is we're all on the same team. We're one body. And notice he, in verse uh, 13, did you notice the means through which we become part of that body of Christ, the team, the family of Christ? verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit we were all what? Baptized into one body. Baptism in Christ. It's not by caste or feudal system. It's not by state in, or status in society. It's not by biological birth. <laughs> it's, it's by baptism alone. It's by rebirth. Not by biological birth, but by rebirth in Christ. We're all one in one body. And it says that we're all spiritual. We're gifted with the Holy Spirit. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized. It's not reserved for a few to have spiritual impact. It's not reserved for just the spiritual elite to have an influence, a saving impact. It's actually for every part of the body. And in this body, we're individually gifted. I think it's up in verse 7. If you just uh, scan your eyes up a little bit earlier in the chapter, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to just a few, for the profit of everybody else. Is that what it says? No, right? Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to how many? Each one. Each one. For the profit of all. Though we may, may each have different roles, though we may have different capacities, passions, spiritual giftedness, the fact is that we're still in the same body, on the same team. And all of this is by God's design. I love how further down in the chapter, in verse 18, I like this. The New King James says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. Just as he pleased. Does anybody's Bible say it different? Just as he like designed or something like that? Is it any, any other version? Just as he chose. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay? So here it is. This is all by God's design. This is not by human preference. It's not by human invention. This is God's plan. And he's given it to each one of us. It's not been like passed on from somebody else or just by your own circumstances. Well, this is what I must be because I'm in this circumstance. No, no, no. This is God's calling. This is God's design. This is God's choice. And this is what Martin Luther really wanted to highlight. Hey, you know, and he's addressing this to the nobility. He's addressing this to people in political positions, but it's applicable to all farmer and famous person alike, right? Another verse that he quotes from is in Revelation. Revelation 5. Go ahead and turn there. Last book of the New Testament. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. This is a vision that, you know, was referenced um, earlier when we were worshiping together uh, in song. Debbie was mentioning this idea that the lion from the tribe of Judah took this scroll and... um, and here Jesus kind of takes center stage of this vision that, that John sees in Revelation 5. And there are, 
there are these praises that are ringing in the heavenly courts. And I'll start in verse 9, actually. Revelation 5, verse 9. If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay? And this is what, what people are praising Jesus about. It says, and they sing a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And what was the result? Verse 10. And have made us kings and what else? Kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Again, here, just imagine this. I mean, you're, just transport your mind 500 years ago. And imagine the, the kind of society that was known and felt, the kind of structures, the kind of leadership that you had accepted. And here's this guy writing all over an open letter saying, wait a minute, those who are in quote-unquote spiritual capacities, they're not, just, they're not the only ones that serve as priests. We are all consecrated as priests. And then he brings up this Bible verse that who knows how many of them had ever read before, right? Who knows how many of them have ever heard in their German language? And Martin Luther is bringing this to their ears for the very first time that there is this Savior who has redeemed them and by his blood has made us all kings, has made us all priests. And imagine yourself as a common person just hearing this. You're a cobbler, you're a tanner, and you're just like, me? By the blood of Jesus? Can you imagine how earth-shaking that would be for that person? And how troubling that would be for others in positions of authority? Wait, mm, I'm over them. Wait, you know? This is, this is radical stuff. And this is the Bible. And have made us kings and priests to our God. Very interesting thing about the book of Revelation, by the way, is that three times over, this, this idea of kings and priests is repeated in the book of Revelation. The first time is actually, just flip a couple of chapters earlier, uh, Revelation chapter 1, I think. Um, chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. This is kind of in the, the setup of Revelation. Verse 6, sorry, verse 5, it's talking about Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, who loved us, washed us from our sins, etc. Powerful message of the gospel. And then in verse 6, kind of the, the consequence of the gospel. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see it? Basically a direct quote, or just kind of a repeat of Revelation 5.10. But then flip back to the end of Revelation. Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 6. And in Revelation 20, there's this vision of the 1,000 years, the millennium, and what is going on there. And apparently, as John sees this in Revelation 20, he says in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. The bookends of the book of Revelation itself actually just declare this idea. So part of, I guess part and parcel of the revelation of Jesus Christ that is necessary to the end of time. We ought to understand that part of that, an integral part of that, is that you and I are declared kings and priests. Not because of what we've done, but because of the blood of the Lamb. And here Martin Luther is bringing this to the people, probably for the very first time, from the Word of God. And here, uh, another quote 
Martin Luther just kind of applies this to everybody. He says, a cobbler, a smith, a farmer, each has the work and office of his trade, and yet they are all alike consecrated priests and bishops. And everyone, by means of his own work or office, must benefit and serve every other. He goes on, that in this way, many kinds of work may be done for the bodily and spiritual welfare of the community, even as all the members of the body serve one another. Each one, everyone, by the blood of the Lamb, we've been made kings and priests. Kings and priests to, to serve the spiritual welfare of the community even as all the members of the body serve one another. This is powerful stuff. And, and he goes on. There's another verse I want us to look at in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is another, another uh, passage that he quotes from to kind of su- substantiate the, the biblical claim for this priesthood of all believers. So go ahead and find it. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's in verse 9. Maybe this is a, a verse you've heard before. I want to just sit on this verse for a while because it's really deep. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Here in, in this verse, I believe that Peter uh, articulates the believer's identity in a way that, um, that is game-changing, in a way that really changes a paradigm. 1 Peter 2, 9. If you're there, say amen. Okay. 1 Peter 2, 9. So how does he do this? I'll just read the whole verse and then we'll kind of parse it out. In verse 9 it says, But you, you're a chosen generation. Now, if you have read 1 Peter 1, you get the idea that Peter is writing to all believers everywhere who have a living hope in Jesus. Okay, People who have been born again. And so when he says you, he's talking about anyone who has claimed the name of Jesus and has been born again by his blood. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just lock your eyes on that verse and realize that it's talking to you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light couple of things here when it comes to our identity what is the bible saying to me what is the bible saying about you about your identity here three things one i would say that it's communicating a shared identity it's communicating a shared identity in other words a group identity a communal identity when it says but you he's not just talking to an individual but he's saying the the you the family and notice the the words that he calls us you're a generation priesthood Nation. Those are not singular labels. Do you understand what I mean by that? Nation comprehends a group of people. Generation comprehends a group of people. A priesthood comprehends more than just a priest, but a priesthood. You follow that? It's a shared identity. You and I, as a believer, we are not just me, myself, and I. We are a community. Do you follow that? Yes or no? Yeah? Okay. The second thing about this identity that he, he outlines for us is that this is a given identity. This is not a gained identity. This is an identity that has been granted and bestowed, not reached for and obtained. Okay? Notice again. Um, you are... Just, just notice the, the adjectives. A chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. Chosenness, royalty, and holiness. 
These are not things that we grasp for. These are things that are given to us, right? When we're, I don't know if you've ever had those memories, you know, elementary field. I remember the football field, recess time. It's time to choose teams for football or whatever. Being chosen is not something. Okay, so maybe my friend and I, we, we kind of rigged the system. Like, Okay, we won't go into that. But being chosen typically, <laughs> being chosen typically is something that is given. To, I choose you to be on my team. It's not something that we, we get on our own, right? So when God chooses us, when God chooses us, selects us on our team, that's something that's given, that's an identity that's given. When we're royalty, it's not that I become royal because I uh, pay a whole bunch of money or because I um, do really good in school. No, royalty is by birth, and that's not something I choose. Do you follow that? Yeah? (laughs) That's not something that I've earned. And then holiness, whether you know it or not, your holiness is not something that you earn. Your holiness is something that is given. Only God can make things holy. God made the Sabbath holy. We don't make a day holy. God makes my heart holy. I don't make my heart holy. Right? That's, that's actually in Ezekiel. What is it? Ezekiel 20. It tells us that the Sabbath is actually a sign that I am the Lord who sanctifies you, makes you holy. When you celebrate Sabbath, when you honor Sabbath, you're realizing, wait, I don't make myself holy. God makes me holy. Right? Okay, so, so chosenness, royalty, holiness, these are things that are given to us. This is a given identity. They're not by achievement. They are by God's grace. The third thing about the believer's identity is that this identity is mission-driven. This identity is mission-driven. Just notice again uh, the words that he uses. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, okay, that we've kind of been focusing on that, being a bridge builder, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God doesn't just give us these nice names so that we can feel better about ourselves. God gives us these identities with a purpose. It's a mission-driven identity. It's, it's a shared identity. It's a given identity. It's a mission-driven identity. There's a God-centered purpose that drives each and every one of us by virtue of our rebirth in Christ. Nothing less, nothing more priests build bridges between God who saves and those around us who need that salvation. And so whether we're a full-time evangelist or a healthcare educator, whether you're a farmer or a framer, whether a CEO of your own business or the king of your own household, each one of us in our own spheres serve as priests. Each one of us serves as bridge builders and, and we serve to give praise to the God who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We do this by our everyday efforts. We do this in our temporal, secular roles because even there, we are proclaiming praises to the God of glory. Our ordinary chores become an extraordinary calling in view of this identity, our shared identity, our given identity, our mission-driven identity. Man, as Martin Luther is writing this, as he's kind of declaring this in an open letter, in an open forum, Just imagine the impact. You know, Isaiah talks about uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Every valley shall be lifted and the mountains will be brought low. And I imagine this message just being spread out to to those who heard it. And the mountains truly were, were lowed. The valleys truly were lifted. The humbling of the lording leadership and the elevation of, of empowering the layperson. All of these things happened. And as we hear this today, I mean, what mountains need to be brought low? 
What valleys need to be erased? I mean, are there perceptions that we have of those in spiritual capacities that, oh man, because they're in this, I'm not. And uh, there's this distinction that I have no impact. Maybe you are in a spiritual capacity and you need to know that you're not the only one. (laughs) The spiritual leaders at that time, they needed to know that they were brothers serving with, not lords serving over. We're accountable to the community. The, the spiritual leaders need to understand that, that they're not prima donnas. They're not, they're not exceptions to the rule. And lay people needed to know that their work mattered to God. That's what the people... The, the, the valleys needed to be exalted. Even the, those in political power and those who, who didn't have much power at all or n- nothing to their name, they needed to know that their work mattered to God. The work of the mechanic, the work of the medic, the work of the mother is all of spiritual value and spiritual impact. Just because you may not be in full-time gospel ministry doesn't mean that your faithfulness in the little things has no impact. No, 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 no. Not at all. Actually, I want to share this. this I was reading this earlier this week um, in a book called Prophets and Kings. And it says, Because they are not connected with some directly religious work, many feel that their lives are useless. That they're doing nothing for the advancement of God's kingdom. I don't know. You don't have to raise your hands, but maybe this has been a thought that has kind of crossed your mind. Uh, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not directly involved. I, I'm not making an impact for God's kingdom. If they could do some great thing, how gladly they would undertake it. A man may be in the active service of God while engaged in the ordinary, everyday duties. Let me read this again. I'll say it. A man or a woman, a boy or a girl, may be in the active service of God, the active service of God, while engaged in the ordinary, everyday duties, while felling trees, clearing the ground, or following the plow. And I love this. The mother who trains her children for Christ is as truly working for God as is the minister in the pulpit. You feel like all you're doing is dishes and laundry? (laughs) (laughs) The work you're doing in raising up young people, the work you're doing in influencing those in your sphere of influence, whether in the garage, at the office, on the construction site, you are doing it in the everyday, ordinary duties. You can be actively engaged in the service of God. You're in the classroom doing homework. You're in the gym. In that everyday duty, you can be proclaiming the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Man. (laughs) Friends, the forward movement of the Reformation back then and today is not dependent upon someone else. Did you hear it? The movement of the Reformation back then and today is not dependent upon someone else just because you're not in full-time ministry. It's moved forward by your faithfulness to use your giftedness for God's glory. The movement of the Reformation is moved forward by your faithfulness to use your giftedness for God's glory. I'll say it again. The Reformation will go forward by your faithfulness to use your giftedness 
for God's glory. You're an integral part of the priesthood, whether you believe it or not. You are, by virtue of the blood of the Lamb. You, in your unique capacity, in your individual uh, uh, nuances and individual passions, in your personal setting and context, you can show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Friends, simple appeal that Martin Luther was writing to to those in that open letter is the appeal to us. Rise up. (laughs) Rise up and move forward the Reformation. Rise up and proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Don't wait for someone else to do it just because they have a different role or capacity, uh, a more full-time sphere of influence or whatever. You may feel like all you're doing is studying. Um, Man, how am I making an impact for God when I'm just doing Spanish homework? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) my Spanish teachers. Anyways, (laughs) how am I making an impact when all I'm doing is disciplining? How am I making an impact when all I'm doing is... Friends, in the ordinary, the everyday duties, you are engaged in active service for God. You are. Why? Because how you're doing those ordinary and active... Uh, ordinary and everyday duties, how you're doing it is somehow revealing the character of Jesus. It has the power to reveal the character of Jesus. It also has the power to cloud the character of Jesus. So by virtue of the blood of the Lamb, rise up as a priest today. Rise up as a, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy people, special people called out of darkness into His marvelous light. So simple takeaway. Rise up. Move forward the work of God here on earth. Be part of what God is doing. And maybe you're wondering, how do I do that? How do I do that? Two simple suggestions. One, embrace your daily work as God's calling. Are you willing to do that? I mean, embrace your daily work. Well, my daily work as a student. I, 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 don't, I don't work. No, no, no. Your daily activity. Embrace your work, your daily sphere of influence as God's calling. Why? Because God has called you there because no one else is there who is proclaiming the praises of Him. Okay? God needs you there in the, in the classroom. God needs you there at the home front. God needs you there in that office. God needs you there to proclaim the praises of Him who calls you out of darkness into marvelous light. So one, embrace your daily work, your, your daily sphere of influence as God's calling. And the second appeal is simply this. Maybe, um, maybe this is, there's a process of discovery that needs to happen. So Appeal number one, embrace your daily work. And number two, explore your unique spiritual giftedness. Explore it. Try to discover it. Maybe someone has told you, uh, you know what, you're, you're really good at this. But maybe you need to explore that a little bit more. Maybe someone has kind of plugged you into a role that you didn't really fit in and you feel like that's the only role I can do because that's what I've been asked to do. No, maybe you need to explore a little bit, okay? Explore your spiritual giftedness. There's a book called um, The Cure for the Common Life by Christian author Max Lucado. He describes this thing called the sweet spot. Okay, the sweet spot. It's the intersection of where what you do intersects with why you do it and where you do it. In other words, your unique giftedness intersects with why you're living. That's to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, right? Where you're doing it in your everyday setting. And so explore your unique giftedness. You know, the intersection of where your gifts are, your skills are, also with your passions and your current setting. Man, what do I love to do? Why do I love to do it? And how can I do that where I am right now? 
You follow that train of thought? Maybe you're just kind of grappling with that and you want to talk through someone or talk through it with someone. Be happy to pray through uh, just that discovery process with you. So embrace your daily work. Explore your uniqueness. How many of you, just hearing that today, can find one of those two things to grab onto? I, I, want, I want to embrace my daily work. I want to explore and actually ask questions, talk with God a little bit more about this. I want to explore my unique giftedness. How many of you want to embrace your daily work or explore your unique giftedness? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, man, this message that Martin Luther just kind of shook the world with, um, it's sometimes... We don't realize the impact of that. You know, we, we think upon the just shall live by faith, the sola scriptura stuff. But man, to even think that back then only certain people could sing songs in church. That congregational singing is actually a result of this priesthood of all believers. That we can actually minister and glorify God together. Lord, I pray that today each and every one of us would be consecrated to the priesthood. Not because of our effort, but because of your salvation. I pray, Father, for each and every one of us in our daily spheres. Um, maybe some of us have become weighed down by those daily spheres and feel like uh, this is a drag or this is a burden. But God, I pray that you would kind of recommit us to proclaiming your praises right there. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Please, Lord, may we live by the identity that you have already granted to us. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. The family say, amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing a song of response together um, from the inside out, that these things would truly be genuine, that these things would be from God. So I invite the song team forward. And let's stand together as we sing, huh?